Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, a couple of big stories since last we spoke, and obviously Tiger Woods' accident, the big story nationally. That uh, one-car collision was horrific, and the All-Star Reserves, the other big story, which is both national and local with our guys here. Uh, as far as the Tiger story... You know, the, the people I watched didn't want to make any predictions on him playing golf, but it doesn't sound good. Certainly not in the short run. In the long run, who knows? Medicine's getting better all the time. Compound fracture to the leg. The ankle is um, in all sorts of bad shape, apparently. And then when they talk about his legs being crushed, I don't know that, what that means for, you know, major arteries and all that and the circulation. That's all way above my pay grade. And they may not know in the short run. I suppose we'll hear more in the coming days, but uh, we're not going to see him at the Masters. That seems pretty clear. I don't know when we'll see him back on tour, and you know, is that going to wipe out most of the season or all of this season? I I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. But um, if you saw the vehicle, it was in terrible shape, and so you know, priority one is he's alive. So there's that. Because when you saw that vehicle, you don't know. But apparently, you know, where he was riding was in pretty good shape. Everything around it got destroyed, but uh, where he was was in pretty good shape. Uh, That was one major story, and then we knew the All-Star Reserves were coming up last night, and I think they largely went as we expected. Most of the guys you could figure out based on All-Stars previously, championship experience, which teams were playing well in the standings. You know, when in doubt, pick the guys who play in major markets who score a lot of points. There you go. Uh, 16 of the top 18 scorers in the league are in the game, uh, it'll be 18 of 21. I think there are three guys. They don't know how they do the qualifications. You know, in baseball, to win the batting title, they got to have a certain number of plate appearances. So I don't know if it's a percentage of games played or shots. I don't know what the minimum is. I've never really looked into it. But um, the guys who don't qualify right now are Paul George and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Durant's got two titles and Irving's got one. They all three play in New York or L.A. And all those guys score at least 24 points a game. And 24 is kind of the magic number. You get to 24, you're probably in. Devin Booker is over 24, and he's not in. And Trey Young's over 24, and he's not in. I think Booker will probably get the replacement slot um, for Anthony Davis, because Davis isn't going to play, it doesn't look like. Off everything the Lakers have said, I don't see how he would. So I'm penciling uh, Booker in there. You know, I know a lot of Jazz fans will be rooting for Conley. Gobert got in, and... Mitchell got in. Well, Mitchell scores at that 24-point game. If you're that big a score, you're going to get in. And then Gobert is one of the outliers. Ben Simmons, Chris Paul, Rudy Gobert. Those are the guys who really aren't even close to that 24-point line. Uh, like Julius Randle's like, off it by a point, maybe. So he's in. Uh, but the three real outliers are Simmons and Rudy Gobert and Chris Paul. And those guys don't score a ton of points. And Paul, you know, for the difference he made in winning unexpectedly in Oklahoma City and for the difference he made in winning unexpectedly in Phoenix, at least to this level, I think people thought Phoenix would be better. But I don't think that they thought they'd be fourth in the West and, uh, you know, really not that far out of second and third. You know, <laughs> so I don't know where they were. I, I think they were fourth in the West when the coaches voted. Um you know, but the, the point is so close to second and third. I just there's no way I think most people saw that. I mean, Phoenix maybe they they thought that you know local guys and you get all fired up. But around the league, I think most people had Phoenix in that seven to ten range, maybe six, but four with a legit shot at two and three. 
nah, didn't don't think so. So then Chris Paul gets rewarded for that. Um, his numbers are good, you know, sixteen and eight, I think, um, sixteen points, eight assists a game, roughly. Uh, but they're not really all star good. But he's he's the vet and he's had a career and he gets rewarded for winning and changing the franchise is a two fr- you know you, you're the Clippers you're supposed to win and you're with Houston you're supposed to win. Um, but what he's done in Oklahoma City and Houston and uh, Oklahoma City and Phoenix the last two years, I think he gets a lot of credit for. You know, Simmons comes in as a number one pick and a ton of hype and a great passer, and he scores, but not at that twenty point a game rate. And Gobert, you know, for his defensive dominance, two time Player of the Year. Everybody knows that the Jazz defense hangs on him, and the offense, as we heard Monday night. After the Jazz win, and George Niang, of course, went into the Zoom interview because he was 7-for-7 seven seven on three-pointers and scored 21 points. He said, well, we, we get shots because you know teams have to decide, are they giving up a dunk to Rudy, or are they going to let somebody take a three-point shot? And on Monday night, Charlotte made a clear and obvious decision. They were taking Rudy away. They were putting an extra guy in the paint. So it was when the Jazz ran the pick-and-roll, it was two offensive guys versus three defenders. But that means somebody's open, and... The Jazz three-point shooters benefited, and so he was uh, he was sure to give the old uh, tip of the cap to Rudy Gobert for putting that pressure on the rim and drawing another defender in there. So for all of that, Gobert gets recognized. Uh, Conley could get in as a replacement. Uh, some of the stories I read after that, people continue to refer to him as kind of a golf thing. You know, the best golfer never to win a major. The best NBA player never to be an all-star. And so I think he could get in, but I, I think Booker's going to be the pick. And most of the people I saw taking a guess at this thought it would be Booker, too. And, and Burker, Booker is one of those high-profile scorers. You know, he's one of those guys over 24 points a game. If he gets in, then 17 of the top 18 qualified scorers will be in. Trey Young in Atlanta isn't in. He'd be the outlier. Um, but he's the only one, you know. And uh, there are other guys with good stats. You know, 20 and 10 guys usually get in, but Simonis didn't. And he's a 20 and 10 guy in, in Indiana. But, you know, hadn't been to the NBA Finals, isn't an MVP, isn't in a major media market, getting a ton of hype, so he gets squeezed. What are you going to do? Um, and, you know, I really think, and I think players know this, but nobody really wants to say it. I mean, they're going to have the All-Star game because it's worth a lot of money to the TV partners. And that makes it worth a lot of money to the owners, and that makes it worth a lot of money to the players. So everybody's making money. But... This is also a congested schedule, and everybody's talking about that. And I think if you're in a real race to do something, and you got a pretty good team, that time off isn't all bad. You know, we we don't know what the schedule's going to look like. We haven't seen it yet, but there's all kinds of talk. They've, they've pretty much got rid of, in normal times, in the before times, they got rid of four games in six days because the players are just too tired. But when the schedule comes out, there's talk that we might be seeing five games in seven days. And, man, when you're... They got rid of those. You know, that that's something the Stockton Malone era, they had five games in seven days a lot. And whenever anyone complained about it, Jerry Sloan's like, oh, we played eight straight days, so I don't want to hear it. If you got to do it, you don't want to hear it. You know, why talk about it and put it in the front of your brain and, and make it another hurdle? You're going to have to fight through some fatigue anyway, but why focus on that? Um, but when you stand back objectively, if the league can spread the games out and say, hey, we're getting rid of five of seven and we're pretty much getting rid of four of six, maybe there'll be some. But five and seven? Oof. So if you're getting ready for that, why not have some downtime? Get your legs underneath you. You know, when the Jazz went on that last road trip and had the back-to-back, and their, their three-point percentage sunk for a while there. And it's like they got fatigued and they didn't bounce back. If you don't have your legs, you're not going to shoot the three as well. And so they were over 40%, and all of a sudden you find them down in the 38s, 39s, and, you know, they had a lot of 35 nights where they're shooting 34, 35 from the floor. So 
I know Conley wants to go, and I get that it's an exclamation point on a career, and I get why he wants to go, and I appreciate him being honest and putting himself out there when he knew he might not go. You know, he knew there was a chance. How good a chance, whatever, but he knew there was a chance, but he put himself out there anyway. So appreciate all that. I mean, nobody wants to, you know, go on Zoom, ask a bunch of questions, get lied to. And he got asked, and he threw it out there. Um, but if you step back... Although they probably feel bad for him individually, i got to wonder on the Jazz coaching staff and then the Jazz front office, if they aren't thinking, I'm glad he has some downtime. I mean, it sucks for him personally and it sucks for him emotionally, but it doesn't suck for his legs. And it's not going to suck for his three-point shot. There's, there's, there's some hidden benefits here. So, and of course, I say all that, and then, you know, maybe Booker won't be named a replacement, or maybe there'll be another replacement. You know, there's still plenty of games. It's not unusual to see someone get hurt. It doesn't take much at this point. You know, any injury that knocks you out for, you know, 10 days, two weeks, any, you know, somebody takes a three and lands on somebody's foot, you know, you roll the ankle, hamstring injuries. It's nothing that says we won't see a replacement in the East and Trey Young get in, and we won't see another replacement in the West and a 14th guy get in. Could easily happen. I think O'Kerr benefited from that one year with the Jazz. I think he was a late injury replacement when he made his All-Star appearance. So you never know until you get to the end of the games, uh, the games before the All-Star break. You never know what's going to happen to somebody in a game, right? Uh, we just saw it in the last game, Gordon Hayward going down, hurting his hand. I mean, he's not in the All-Star game. But, uh, you know, you're already battling something, and that happens, and it's worse. So we'll see how it plays out. So there's a couple of uh, a couple of big stories. There was some baseball also, more reaction from around the league, and some of this stuns me. You know, it's um, Seattle had their <clears throat> their CEO and their president go off, and he was talking about guys who don't speak good English, and you know the tone was just demeaning, and and he talked about uh, Seager's done, and he talked about service time, and uh, and it's kind of like everyone knows it happens, but you can't say it out loud. And he said it out loud, you know, manipulating guys' service time. Keep them in the minor leagues at the start of the year so that it pushes back arbitration a year and free agency a year. The players don't like it. They know they're making tons of money for the owners, and they're losing a year in their prime, and they're not getting, not getting paid the mega money they could be getting paid. So, of course, they hate it, and they say it out loud. Now, not every team does it. Uh, the Padres brought up Fernando Tatis Jr. at the start of the year, and there was even like, wow, they're not holding him down to control his arbitration? And... Uh, but the team didn't say it. You know, the front office, the GM, the president, the owner, the manager, they can't say it. I mean, Mike Trout came to Utah for two weeks or 17 days, where I'm sure Klauke knows exactly how many games he played. But it wasn't many, and it was to control his service time for another year. So everybody knows it. Um, but for an executive to say it out loud just sets off the players. And, you know, in all, of all the sports. Baseball's got the worst labor relations. I think they've gotten better. I mean, just because, you know, We've had seasons and we've had World Series. You have to say they've gotten better. Uh, the NBA has been contentious at times, at other times pretty good. You know, the NFL has gone a long time without labor disruption. Those players, they don't have guaranteed contracts. They're probably only – there's a lot of the league that's only in the league for two, three, four years. They don't want to give any time up to a strike or a lockout to make money for some guy who's in college or in high school. No, thanks. They're going to play. So – but baseball, man, they go at it. But those guys also know they have 10, 12, 15-year careers, right? There are a lot of guys playing in their mid-30s. Some guys get to play to 40. So it's worth it to them to fight because they're going to be the guys who are going to benefit. They lose in the short run, but they'll be in the league in the long run to, to cash in. And football players probably won't be. I mean, Tom Brady's the outlier. But most football players won't be in the league to cash in. So that kind of roiled the waters there in baseball, saying what, uh, what isn't supposed to be spoken, even if it's the truth. 
All right, DJ and PK coming up. We got a lot of basketball for you. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and we are brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. Time to welcome back Andy Bailey. Covers the NBA for Bleacher Report. He's been on the show several times, and he joins us again right now. Andy, good morning. Morning. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well. want to go big picture with you on the Jazz. Obviously, there has been a lot of winning going on. But the Clippers are full strength, the Jazz are full strength, and the Clippers win. Now, you can win before that, and you can win after that. Do you write that off as just, hey, one game, and you can't win them all, and they have nearly won them all for a couple months now? Or do you look at it and think, they are way better than 25 teams in this league, and they're hammering them, but at the top of the league, there's some problems for the Jazz. What do you think? Well, um, maybe I come down somewhere in the middle on that. I, I think that you could pick just about any team in the league and say they're going to have problems with the top tier. I think you could probably say that about the Clippers, uh, the Lakers, the the Nets. Um, the fact that I, you know, I think Utah is in that tier now. I, I think they can give the Clippers a run for their money in a seven-game series. I think they can give the Lakers a run for their money in a seven-game series. Uh, they don't. They don't have the top-end, you know, super-duper star talent like the Clippers have Kawhi and Paul George, and the Lakers have AD and LeBron. Um, but Utah, I think, may be the deepest team um, of that you know top tier, or at least the team that works the best together. Maybe not the deepest in terms of talent, but all the pieces just fit so well with Utah. Everybody knows their role so well. Um, they've been drawing a lot of comparisons to teams like the 04 Pistons and the 2014 Spurs. Um, this morning, I kind of thought maybe they're a little bit like that the Orlando Magic team that made it to the finals with Dwight Howard surrounded by a bunch of shooters. Um, I just I think they're built so well, and, and I would probably pick the Lakers or the Clippers uh, in a seven-game series, but I certainly wouldn't be shocked if the Jazz beat them. They lost that game to the Clippers, like you said, when both teams were full strength. Um, but, I, you know, it was on the road. Not that that's as big of a deal this season with no fans, but it's, it's still something. They shot the ball a little bit worse than they typically do. I, I think they could have come away with that from that game with a win. How do you think three-point shooting plays out in the postseason? I think it's going to be about as prevalent as it is in the regular season. I know everybody says the game slows down and, you got to be able to do different things, and I think that's probably true. But I, I think the game has trended so much towards three-pointers in just the last two or three years um, that it's it's going to be a huge part of every game in the postseason, too. The three-point attempt rate just continues to skyrocket. And <laughs> I really don't think there's going to be as big of an adjustment in the postseason uh, as there has been in years past. It is just so much a part of today's uh, NBA basketball that I, I don't think there's going to be a, a major adjustment in the postseason. 
I feel like when the Jazz play, if a team isn't really physically gifted, they can break them down. If the team isn't really mentally disciplined, they can break them down. But can a physically gifted team that's got a lot of, and the Clippers are a good example of this, a lot of guys who can defend the perimeter. They're athletic, they're long, they got some size, all that stuff. And they really stick to the game plan and execute it. Can they take away Gobert's dunks? And can they take away the three-point shot and force the Jazz to shoot, you know, Conley and Mitchell to shoot a bunch of floaters and 10- and 12-foot pull-ups? Because it seems like that's kind of the, the best-case scenario for defending the Jazz, but can someone really do that consistently? Yeah, I think you mentioned a team that can do that uh, in the Clippers. I, I think the Lakers at full strength certainly have some, some gifted uh, defenders it'll make things difficult for them. I, I think the question is, can they do it four out of seven games? Um, the way the Jazz are built with so many good shooters and so many good volume shooters, um, and then, you know, it may happen. We saw this with the Rockets a few years ago when they went one for 27 or whatever it was um, in the postseason. You, you can have games like that when you're you know heavily reliant on the three. But it's hard for me to imagine with how well the Jazz have shot for the first 30 games of the season or however many it's been, for them to just go ice cold for four out of seven games. Um, now, can can a team like the Clippers or Lakers hold them to you know just a little bit below the level that they've been at? Um, you know, I think that's certainly possible. And then the other problem, of course, is going to be defending those guys. Um, I, I think that's where the Jazz might actually, and, and you know, they've got a great defense this season. I think last I checked, they were tied for first. I actually haven't checked it this morning. Um, but in the postseason, when you've got a smaller backcourt like Mitchell and Conley and Clarkson, when he's in there, can, can you defend some of these teams with superstars on the perimeter? I think that's going to be difficult. Um, so, again, I, I would likely pick the Clippers or the Lakers if it, if it came down to it and these teams meet in the postseason. But I think the, the Jazz absolutely have a, a puncher's chance. Um, just popped into my head, but I watched that UFC fight on Saturday night with um, Lewis, Derek Lewis, and, and he has that huge uppercut that can end a fight at any minute, and I think the Jazz kind of have that with their three-point shooting. I mean, if they get hot for five or six minutes, they run away from teams. They've done it a bunch of times. They can kind of play even with teams for two and a half, three quarters, and then they go on a stretch where they just light the nets up for four or five minutes and all of a sudden the game's over. And I, I think they have knockout power uh, this season that they haven't had before. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. The big thing is that the answer or the question that needs to be answered is can they do it in the postseason when there's more pressure, more defensive intensity, blah, blah, blah. And, and I think that's a valid question because – this is somewhat of a new group, you know. I realize they're they're in their second year, but really, as far as operating uh, to capacity, this is this their first year because Conley had that time to adjust, and they brought Favors back and all that stuff. But it's not like okay, that might be a legitimate question, but it's not like the other teams. And we look at the Lakers and Clippers at the top of the list. It's not like they don't have questions either. And I'll go, and I'll go with you for the Clippers because to me, you know, they've made a fair amount of changes too. Plus, how much do you buy in the repeated failures of Paul George? It's not like he's been Mister Clutch in the postseason himself. Yeah, I mean, if we're gonna bring up. 
and, and I agree with you. I think it is valid for, for people to wonder what Utah will do in the playoffs. Um, you know, we've seen them have big hot streaks in the, the regular season before they had one last season. Um, so it's, it's valid, but you're absolutely right that there are questions about all these teams. I, I think there's as much parity in the NBA right now as we've had in quite a while. Um, there are four, five, six teams. You could probably make a decent argument for picking to win it all. Um, and like you said, the Clippers, <laughs> Paul George has had some problems despite dubbing himself playoff P. I mean, Jazz fans, I'm sure, remember pretty clearly when Joe Ingles shut him down for a series. Um, so there are there are definitely questions there. I think Kawhi Leonard's durability, even though he's been you know healthy this season, um, you never know when he has you know some health issue pop up. I think there are questions for all these teams that there's health with Anthony Davis and the Lakers, and I'm, I'm not so sure about their supporting cast after the top two. Um, the, the Nets are, are impressing me more and more every time I watch them play, but there's still questions about the defense. Um, Milwaukee's defense, I think, got a lot worse this season. Ben Simmons' shooting is going to be a problem for Philly. So we can, I think we can nitpick any of the teams that are in that top tier. Um, but it is, I, I think it's impressive that the Jazz have, have held this thing together, have built up a bunch of continuity and chemistry, and I, I think they are legitimately part of that top tier now. So when you talk about the top tier, it's easy to put the Nets and the Jazz and the Lakers and the Clippers in that group in whatever order you want to put them. But the Suns and the standings have crept yeah. within a game of the Lakers and Clippers. And partly it's the Lakers and the Clippers having their issues and their health and all that. But, man, the Suns have been really good, winning eight out of nine, the only losses to the Nets. Do you think they belong, on, regardless of record, do you think they belong in the same tier with those other four teams? probably put them maybe just just a half notch below that tier right now but they they certainly need to be paid attention to and this is the second season in a row that chris paul has come to a team and and really stabilized things um you know phoenix already had plenty of momentum I, i think devin booker's reputation changed a lot last season and then they had the undefeated bubble um, you know, DeAndre Ayton, I think, is a little bit underrated and, and underappreciated because he came from that same draft class as Luka and Trey Young. Um, they've got good 3-and-D guys with Michael Bridges and Cameron Johnson. When they when they plugged Chris Paul into what was already moving in the right direction, um, you know, they I, I think they're, you know, close to that tier. I'm a little hesitant still just because of the inexperience of some of those other guys. Um, but they look fantastic like you said they've just been on fire lately and something that they've been doing that i just mentioned about the jazz earlier too is just running away and i think that's a mark of a good team you know utah for years and years was a solid team that seemed to be in struggles every single game this year they're blowing teams out um and i i think when you reach that level um you're starting to be onto something you think the Lakers have to make a move? Um, I, I don't think they have to. I, if they're fully healthy, I, I still think that's probably the toughest duo in the league. Um, now, <laughs> if we want to compare trios, and we've, we've got the Nets in that mix, and maybe that's a different thing, or pick any two of those Nets, and maybe you can go head-to-head with the Lakers. But um, LeBron and AD just fit together so well. Um, there's still a level that LeBron goes to in the postseason that that I just I'm not sure anybody else can get to, which is just pretty ridiculous when you think about how long he's been doing that. Um, and I I think there's just 
an element of coasting going on with the Lakers. Um, I still really like their offseason. I think all the guys they added fit pretty well. And Mark Gasol has looked um, slower and older than he did last season for sure. But but maybe he's saving something in the tank for the playoffs too. Um, I, I think they're going to be obviously pretty tough. If I had to pick a team right now, assuming everybody's healthy, to make it to the finals from the West, I would probably go with the Lakers. Um, you know, I, I, I think their recent struggles have more to do with AD being out and them just kind of coasting in the regular season, to be honest. Andy Bailey joining us. He covers the NBA for Bleacher Report. So, LeBron says he doesn't need any more rest. There are plenty of people around the league talking about him needing more rest, and he's basically just blowing them off. So does he know best, or is he not aware of advancing age and he's got a blind spot? Uh, Because we have seen teams where we know they're really good, but they've just looked exhausted in the postseason. And multiple postseason runs and playing a lot of minutes, it seems like that's what will eventually get LeBron assuming he isn't going to, you know, be the first person to beat Father Time. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's he's probably got the best record against Father Time so far, and, and we haven't seen him slow down in the playoffs to this point in his career. And I keep thinking there's got to be a point at some time when he'll slow down. Um, but I, I guess the answer to the question is I would just default to he knows. I mean, he's people have talked for years and years about how much uh, time and effort he put into maintenance of his body and recovery and things like that. Um, and a couple of years ago he did. And, and I think at one time with the cast too, he did take a little bit of a break. Um, so I, <laughs> I think if it gets to a point where he feels like he needs some recovery time, I guess he'll probably take it. Now I, I still think the concern is fair and valid, especially you know, we've, we've heard some rumblings about the second half of the schedule that's about to be released. Um, and, and stuff like five games and seven nights is, is going to be on this schedule. And, and maybe um, with the NBA trying to do everything it can to pack those 72 games in, maybe then it becomes taxing for a guy like LeBron and an older team like the Lakers. And, and you lead into the postseason with a, uh, a rigorous schedule like that. Maybe they're at a little bit of a disadvantage. Um, and I would say they get a little bit of a, of a reprieve in the first round, but I, who knows? I mean, if they if they go into the playoffs as a three or four seed um, and have to play <laughs> some other team from the West that's well above 500, um, fatigue could very much be a factor for them. So you say that you like the Lakers if you had to pick right now, or you're going with Brooklyn if you had to pick right now in the other bracket? I think so. Um, There's just so much offensive firepower at the top. And I think what's different about Brooklyn, um, and I think we could say the same thing about the Warriors a few years ago, we've seen a lot of super teams come together over the years, and it takes a year or two to to work things out. I mean, that was certainly true of the Heat with LeBron and Dwayne Wade, and um, they never worked things out with the Lakers when they had Kobe and Nash and Dwight Howard. But... I, I think the fact that when James Harden went to the Nets, he was so willing to defer from from basically the moment he got there sort of alleviated all those problems. Um, and I, I feel like I saw a similar thing with Stephen Curry when Kevin Durant went there. Um, James Harden is a guy who was an MVP a few years ago. He's He's been <laughs> told he can literally do whatever he wants in Houston, and he did for four or five years. And for him to go from that to a guy who's really willing to, to be a ball mover first with Brooklyn, I think helps them a lot. Um, 
I'm not ready to count the Sixers out yet. I, I think the leader in the clubhouse right now for um, MVP is Joel Embiid, and I think the fact that they've surrounded him with some great shooters and, and Danny Green and Seth Curry makes them pretty dangerous. But like I mentioned earlier, I mean, teams have figured out a way to play Ben Simmons in the postseason. So they've got questions um, that are maybe a bit more pressing than Brooklyn. So I'd, I'd probably go with the Nets right now. Andy, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again later this season. Thanks for having me, fellas. There's Andy Bailey. Here You can read him on NBA Bleacher Report. We have him on the show periodically here. Good to hear from him, his take on the NBA. The Jazz and the Lakers. The Beast in the West. Here come the Lakers for a game tonight. Coming up next, Jovan Buha. Writes for the Athletic. Covers the Lakers. His take on the Jazz and Lakers. And what he expects out of this game. And it might surprise you. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Right at the end of the show, 9.30 yesterday, we had on the Lakers beat writer for The Athletic, Jovan Bua, and his take on the Lakers, why Frank Vogel has been so successful when he is supposed to get run right from the get-go. Are the Lakers going to make a move here to strengthen the team? And when do they get an AD back? How is this going to play out without him, and when do they get him back? Here's Jovan Bua. With DJ and PK on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Gilvon, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. We have many questions about the Lakers, but I think the most important one, and I'm not sure you can answer it, but what do you know about Anthony Davis evaluating him in here in a few weeks? Is he likely to come back? Are they likely to say they're going to evaluate him again in a few weeks? Because it's certainly a different team with and without AD. Uh, well, uh, a few days ago, Frank Vogel gave him a four-week timetable, which would bring him back, uh, you know, I guess a week or so after the All-Star break. Um, you know, and I think with this injury, you can never be too cautious. Um, you know, and I think you look a couple years ago with, with the Kevin Durant situation and what ended up happening with him and, um, you know, the, the, the notion that they might have brought him back a little too soon and, uh, you know, for the Lakers, I, I think they're in the, the stage right now, um, you know, especially as defending champs, that uh, you know, they just want to get to the playoffs healthy and, and you know, uh, with home court advantage. And if they can be the, the three or four seed, uh, they like their chances against, you know, basically anybody. But uh, if you lose Anthony Davis for an extended period of time because you rushed him back, which they might have done, uh, you know, I guess technically to begin with, uh, after he only missed a couple games and then uh, was re-injured, um, in that next game, uh, you know, I, I think they're just going to be extra cautious with this situation. But at the same time, you know, they're currently going through a skid right now. And, um, you know, they, they don't want to fall too far down the standings. So uh, it's an interesting balance. But I think ultimately they're going to be cautious with him. And um, I do expect him back, you know, within a week or so of the All-Star break, uh, barring any setbacks. So we've heard about LeBron talking about this rest, and I admire him willing to go out there and play every game. 
you know, there's no doubt about it. Anytime I'm going to watch the Lakers, I want to see LeBron. I'm a fan of basketball, and he's the guy. And I certainly think that whatever he says should be consulted and seriously considered. But in my mind, it's a management decision. And if the management team decides that LeBron needs to sit or what have you, then I think they should do it. It should be you will you include him in the discussion, but I don't think he should have the final say in that way. You know, it's not an injury situation. It's a rest situation. What do you think about the opportunity to have him rested and should management take control of that and sort of take it out of LeBron's hands knowing that he has a say? Yeah, I mean, that is a tough one. Uh, I do think in general, um, you know, as a, as a general practice, um, you know, teams have um, their their medical staffs tracking these guys, you know, at everything, you know, blood pressure, heart rate, um, you know, workload. Like, you know, I, I know some teams have it where it's literally like a stoplight where, you know, they have a, a different color for, for each guy of, okay, this guy's a green, this guy's a yellow. You can't let this guy get into red because that's when it's, it's the danger zone. So um, I'm, I'm sure on the Lakers end, they're tracking and monitoring all of this. Um, you know, obviously, LeBron is kind of a in, in in an unprecedented situation where we've just never seen someone at uh, you know 36 you know basically look like they're 24 right like I guess the the closest would probably be um, you know Karl Malone or, or Kareem but I think LeBron's you know obviously more athletic than, than either of those guys so it's just we've never seen a guy be able to kind of handle this production and workload at this age but um, you know I, I'm with you guys in that I think. He probably should just, you know, take a game off at some point. Um, but I think if anyone has earned that kind of right to dictate their their, you know, kind of body and, and whether they're playing or not, it is LeBron. I mean, he is the most powerful player in the league. So I, I think, you know, I think from the Lakers, with some of the stuff that has been said publicly, it does sound like they'd probably want him to take a night off. But it, he clearly is just rejecting that. And if that's the case, I think. You don't want to upset LeBron and force him to take a game off and potentially, you know, have him upset and, you know, whatever consequences uh, come from that. So I, I'm with you in, in, in you know, in, in practice that I think, in, you know, you should – I'm more pro-rest, and especially with the workload he's had lately with AD out. I mean, if you look at some of the, the minutes, it's been, you know, he had a stretch where he had three straight games with 40-plus minutes, um, you know, went 40-plus went minutes last night. And they're losing these games, you know, and, and that's where I, I think the issue is, is if he, you know, if they're winning because he's playing a lot of minutes, that's one thing, but they continue to lose, um, you know, recently. And that's just kind of a double whammy of you're falling down the standings and you're wasting LeBron's minutes. So um, I wonder if, you know, maybe he rests a game coming up here, but um, I, 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 I'm with you guys. I just, I think that he's the, you know, kind of the one player that, really has that power to kind of dictate that, and I don't think the Lakers are going to mess with that. Kyle Kuzma played his college basketball at the University of Utah. A lot of people still following him. And, you know, where after you got the big two, who are a couple other players who can really perform at a high level for you? There's the expectation he's that guy. Is he fulfilling that more? Is he all the way there? Is there still stuff they expect from him? How, does he, how is he fitting in right now? Yeah, well, I would say after the, the two stars, the third guy this season has been Dennis Schroeder. Um, you know, he, he has, uh, you know, stepped into that starting point guard role and, and played fairly well, and it's been a big loss for him. You know, and I think he's someone that they're really going to miss 
in Wednesday's matchup against the Jazz. As for Kuzma, I think he's really taken a step over the past you know, 12, 14 months uh, embracing a role-player role where uh, you know, his first couple of years in L.A., he was one of their leading scorers. He kind of had a breakout as someone people were looking at as, hey, you know, is this guy a, a potential all-star or, or is he you know, a potential 20-point-a-night you know, career scorer? And, you know, obviously that, that's no longer the case. And um, he's taken a big step back with LeBron and AD um, now in the Lakers. But I think it, it's been the other areas of his game that have really grown where he's become a plus defender. And that was not the case a couple of years ago. You know, he was a bad defender a couple of years ago. And he's, he's used, I mean, he's got a good frame. He's six foot nine, long arms, you know, fairly athletic. He can defend multiple positions. Um, and if you look at his steal and block numbers, those have all increased. Uh, and then his rebounding, all of a sudden, um, you know, he, he was a decent rebounder, but he's become a pretty good rebounder. He's had, a, uh, you know, several double-doubles this year. Uh, if you look at the, the offensive rebounding, he's had some really big offensive rebounding games with, you know, four, five, six offensive rebounds. And um, th- those stretches have, have saved the Lakers at times when they've been struggling offensively recently. So Kuz, I think, you know, g- getting the contract uh, that, that he got heading into the season and, and just kind of, Accepting his role, you know, off the bench, and, and as a guy who is not just a scorer but can do other things with rebounding and passing and defense, um, I think he, he's he's really flourished lately. So, uh, you know, he, he's not the third guy on the team necessarily. He's not the third leading scorer, but he's someone that is kind of like a Swiss Army knife for them, where they can plug and play him. He's played two through four uh, again, defended multiple positions, and I think he's had a, a really nice season quietly. From the Laker perspective, which team concerns you more, the Clippers or the Jazz? Ooh, uh, putting me on the spot here. Uh, well, right. I mean, right now it's it's the Jazz with, with how they're playing. I, I do think for for my my I, I guess mentality tends to uh, lean towards star power, and I just think that if you're looking at the Clippers versus the Jazz, Kawhi Leonard is the best player in the matchup, in my opinion, and. Uh, that would give me a slight, uh, I guess, edge to the Clippers. But I think with what Utah is doing right now, I mean, you can't discount it. And I think, you know, some people have defaulted to the, well, it's the, you know, every year there's a regular season team that, that, you know, kind of breaks out and, you know, it's not legit. But I think with the, the sample size that we're seeing now, uh, I believe they're, what, 26 and 5? And, and, you know, 21 uh, wins of uh, double digits, like, you can't discount that. And, um, you know, I, I've personally been a, a big Utah guy the last couple of years. Like, I, I felt that they were the third best team in the West each of the last two seasons. Um, you know, I picked them to win Denver, uh, to beat Denver in, in the first round. So, um, I'm, you know, I think I, I've been more of a, a pro Utah guy than, than most uh, in the media. And, um, you know, I, so I, I buy this. Like, I think they're really, really good. I think this shows what happens when, when you keep a, a core together and just kind of add some, some pieces around the fringes. And, um, you know, obviously Mike is, is having an all-star caliber year. You got Donovan and, and uh, Rudy doing what, what they do. And, um, you know, I think Quinn's a really, really good coach. So, uh, I mean, the team is very dangerous, and I, I mean, if we're being candid here, like I think they're probably going to blow the Lakers out uh, on Wednesday, just with the way the Lakers are shorthanded and, and with the way they're playing right now. Um, I think that one could get out of hand. 
The Phoenix Suns have inched within a game of the Lakers and Clippers. At what point should we say it's not a big three in the West, it's a big four? What would have to happen for you to say that? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing, with, the only thing with Phoenix for me is the, the lack of experience, right? Like, uh, again, looking at, you know, the, the other teams um, at the top of the West, you know, Lakers defending champs, Clippers of, of multiple guys who either won championships or, or gone deep in the playoffs. Um, you know, same with the Jazz. Uh, the, the Suns, aside from Chris Paul and, and Jay Crowder, are a pretty inexperienced group. And I think we've seen it in recent seasons that, you know, young teams tend to struggle in the postseason. Um, now, Chris Paul, I think, is one of the best point guards ever uh, and, and obviously one of the best leaders ever and is the type of guy that can maybe get them to overcome that, right? And I think you look at last year's playoffs with OKC and, uh, you know, I, I think that team had no business going to seven games with the Rockets. Uh, but, but the fact that they did and, and almost won that series, uh, I think that's a testament to Chris Paul and then just – if you look at it, every every team he's gone to, you know, their win percentage has gone up, and then usually by a, a decent, you know, amount, like you know, ten plus wins. So, uh, I think you know, if anyone could do it, Chris Paul is one of those guys. But um, you know, for, for me, I, again, I think it's experience. I, I think it's the defense. Um, you know, I think offensively they have a bunch of firepower, a bunch of shooting. You know, Devin Booker, I think, will be just fine in the, in the postseason. But uh, to me, it's the defense and the experience will, will be my only knocks on them. But I like them. You know, I, I do think they're right there. Uh, I'd probably put Denver at full strength ahead of them. Uh, it's probably the fourth best team. But I think Phoenix is right there at, at probably, you know, four or five. What percentage do you put on the Lakers making a move here before the trade deadline? Ooh, um, if you're asking a, are you asking a trade or a buyout? Oh well, it could be either. I was, I, you know, I, I would yeah. probably think buyout would be a little bit stronger of of uh, opportunity. Yeah, no, I, um, I would put that at, I don't know, ninety to ninety five percent. You know, I, I think the, the the waving of Quinn Cook last night um, was a a move in that direction. Uh, now, uh, it, you know, it seems like they're not in a rush to add anybody. They're not necessarily going to add anyone soon just because of, if you look at who's out there, um, you know, I don't think there's anybody that moves the needle that much, but you know, we've heard the rumors of Andre Drummond or Blake Griffin potentially getting bought out. I think they'd have interest in either one of those guys. Um, I personally don't see the fit with the Marcus cousins. You know, I I think they need uh, more of a, you know, athletic defensive type, uh, at the five, and that is not DeMarcus Cousins. So, who knows? Maybe they end up signing him, but I personally just don't see the fit. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think the, the waving of Quinn Cook last night what was a clear sign that they're you know they only have 13 players on the roster now, and most teams carry at least 14. Um, so I do expect them to add a guy to the buyout market. But this also gives them a little bit of wiggle room if they want to make a trade that they can take on a little extra salary. Uh, than they could have before, so they should have about like 1.7 million um, in uh, you know under the hard cap right now. So this gave them some financial flexibility. Quinn Cook wasn't playing; uh, they technically could resign him on a couple 10-day contracts, but uh, I definitely expect them to make a move uh, between now and like the end of March. Jovan Bua joining us. He is a Laker beat writer for the Athletic, and I am curious your perspective being around the team on how Frank Vogel has done it. Because there was a 
just a ton of speculation about how long he would or wouldn't be there. And it seems like there's no drama there whatsoever. Everything has come together. How's he done that? Uh, it, it's been it's been you know impressive uh, because um, you know we, we've seen what, what's happened with, with the Lakers over the last you know seven years or so, where they, they've had a revolving door of coaches. They, they had the, the nonstop drama on and off the court with players, with the coaches, with management, and you know it, it's become a little bit of a circus, right? And, and um, I think that what they've been able to do over the last couple of years with, um, you know, Rob Plinka stepping up as the clear leader uh, in the organization with, with the hiring of Frank Vogel, which, remember, he wasn't even their second option. He was their third option. You know, they they'd wanted Ty Lue and Monty Williams and ended up settling on Vogel. Uh, but if you look at what he did last season, um, you know, I think – the key for him is he is a bit of a player's coach where he does default to, um, you know, he, he's a little soft-spoken, he's, he's relaxed. Um, like, I think there are some similarities with, with he and Luke Walton in that regard. And I know that, you know, there are a lot of Laker players that like Luke Walton because of that dynamic. Uh, but, but Frank is, is also a guy who preaches defense. And if you look at, you know, in, his Indiana and Orlando stops, like, he's always been more of a defensive coach. And, Having LeBron and AD, in, in you know at the time Rajon Rondo, like you're going to figure out the offensive end, but the, the defense, I, I think, for this team to get them to buy in to, to be a top three defense last year, um, and, and you know really kind of have that identity, I think that was really key for him, uh, and got you know LeBron and AD on board, and it really was LeBron's best defensive season since probably going back to Miami. So um, I think you know the, the buy-in he's been able to get from the stars. Um, you know, from again, I think being a bit of a player's coach, but also someone who, uh, you know, is a very smart, uh, you know, similar to like an Eric Spolstra, you know, came up in the film room, knows his X's and O's and, and film very well. Um, you know, like multiple player, uh, Laker players this season have said that Frank Vogel has the best film sessions that they've ever had with a coach, and that just his level of detail that they almost feel like it's, it's more productive than their practices, uh, his film sessions. So um, I think all of that combined has, uh, you know, led to him being safe, right? And, you know, I don't think there's any concern about his job security at this point. But, um, you know, winning a, winning a championship helps. Having LeBron and AD helps. Um, but I, I think he deserves a lot of credit and he's done a really good job. Well, Jovan, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and talking a little Lakers with us. Yeah, thank you guys so much. There's Jovan Bua from The Athletic and the Jazz and Lakers tonight. I found it interesting. He, th- he thinks this could get out of hand. The Jazz could go on a run and the Lakers have the firepower to stay with, that, with them. If you saw the Wizards, the end of the Wizards game after the Jazz game with the Hornets ended Monday, if you flipped over to NBA TV, the Wizards won in overtime and obviously the Jazz are much better than the Wizards. But boy, the Lakers could not defend dribble penetration. Westbrook and Beal, and I get it's their strength versus the Lakers' weakness, and these guys are really good at it, but they got into the paint anytime they wanted. And in overtime, they were in there every possession, scoring on every possession at the end. The last time the Lakers got a stop was because Westbrook shot a 15-foot jumper. (laughs) Guys, stop shooting jumpers and attack the rim and win the game. And they did. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Mitchell and with Conley and with Joe Ingles and how easily they get into the paint and give the Lakers fits. All right, when we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.